0: The subject for the evening talk is (coughs) seeing into the nature of things. The world which we live and participate in is not as it appears to be. And so, in the viewing of this world, both in its particular and in its totality, there is an exploration of it which has importance in exploring and finding out the way things are. And what I mean by that is that frequently Our world is such that we rather move between two poles, and these the two poles of attachment and aversion. The attachment and the aversion which we experience can be, of course, towards one particular object, and we experience the mind changing in our contact with that particular object, or towards varying objects. And so we see at times in our living experience that there is this movement of our mind, there is some degree of attention to something at work and within what we are giving attention to, we formulate our perceptions, our experiences, and the various assumptions and conclusions which accompany it. And this through this process, we familiarise ourselves. We familiar our, familiarise ourselves with life and the processes of life, and we see too that there, there are varying degrees of intensity which we have to that which we cling to, and one of the things are attached to, and one of the things which we notice with with regard to that, that an event can take place, and the reaction to it far outweighs the event. And so there can be a, a, an event relatively small for, in, at any uh, level, and we see the impact that can come in, and make its impression, a very strong impression, on an event. And sometimes when that occurs for us, we say and something elsewhere inside of us responds in such a way and we say, but the event was insignificant, the object was no importance, there was really nothing in it. And similarly too with our um, aversions which which arise and all of this as it were makes up what we call our our personal world. Something takes place, there's a, an exaggerated reaction to what is being presented to us and in the exaggeration of that uh, reaction we see that it was an old pattern, it was childish, it was... Um, unwarranted in some way or other, and one asks oneself, "Well, why do I do this? Why, why, why do I, you know, make so much ado about nothing?" And perhaps when we stop and we and we ask ourselves, well, why that actually occurs in uh, in life?" we might say too that psychologically speaking, certainly there is the beginnings at least of the murmurings of questioning and investigation and wondering. And that may bring us, as we have talked before, that may bring us into varying fields of exploration and we might say that a a motive for that is to be less burdened by the past and the way that, as it were, impacts, and to see more clearly the way things actually are. And as we get more clear in terms of seeing things actually as they are, one of the things which does take place, inwardly speaking, that this division in our mind between our personal world which is very much made up of our attachments and our aversions, that makes up the personal world, nothing else, that that this personal world which is made up and the world outside of it, which we have no real interest in, which we say doesn't concern us at all, that separation in the mind begins to lose its reality. And and so you and I have noticed in times and in periods of our life that we're very much wrapped around our attachments and aversions. That's all that counts and we can't see, as it were, beyond it and correspondingly we can't see what the thing is itself because of the impact of that attachment and aversion. So in our exploration it is to diffuse some of the influential power of those two forms of reaction in order to get to terms with what actually is, how things actually are, not from a theoretical or abstract or philosophical level, but from a direct experiential one. Now in this getting in direct touch and contact with the things as they actually are, we keep finding ourselves at any depth that we have come to, faced with certain difficulties and and dilemmas. And one of them is the very intimacy, let us say, which which the mind has with the world, and the world has with the mind. So intimate is this uh, um, event or process that it can be quite hard to make a very hard and fast division between the two. But you and I have found in the course of our life that we have got used to, and this is the pattern at a more subtle level, We have got used to making the separation. We have got used to thinking, believing, and functioning as though the world out there in front of one's eyes and ears and behind is in fact separate and independent from ourselves. And we find ourselves through attachment and aversion at su- subtle levels, living with this belief and this construction of mind as though it really was the truth. Sometimes, through Awareness and meditation, and spontaneously, that separation of my personal world and another world separate from it, or me and that world out there separate from me. That separation begins to drop away, as I say, sometimes spontaneously or meditatively, in which there is the experience of a unitive way, in which we're not clinging on to a particular, attached to it, because that makes a separation, nor are we averse or rejecting any part of this world that we are participating in and there is a unitive experience of this world in which mind and body and the world are in fact in harmony with each other and sometimes in that experience indoors, outdoors wherever we wonder well why is it that I can't keep that experience? Why is it that that sometimes only just comes to me in certain circumstances quite unexpectedly? Because sometimes we sense there is more validity and authenticity to a unitive experience of life than to a fragmented one. And then we begin to sense, if my life was in fact Unitive. And if this experience was more predominant for me, then it would influence and it would affect my relationship to others, my relationship to, to, to creatures and to environment. The very unitiveness of all of, the, all of this would bring about A sense of closeness. And another human being wouldn't be so different from me as I project them to be. As my attachment and aversion tells me. And so we have this experience in life owing to the levels of our mind and where we actually are right here and now in this, this world of the mind experiencing the world as separate, divisive, fragmented with all that takes place in that separation and the world at another level or deeper level, shall we say, of experiencing the world quite differently. And in experiencing the world quite differently, it shows to us that it's both beneficial personally, gives that sense of harmony, and it gives harmony with the world, and in that harmony there can be a free flow of trust, affection, communication, giving and receiving, and all that is of value. And so our mind and the character of our mind, to varying degrees, of course, along the whole spectrum of depth, goes between sometimes massive fragmentation and division to one of deep, if not profound, harmony. But I wonder whether in that spectrum and all the significances of it and all the necessity as we've been reminding ourselves during the days here together of being with the fact and making the fact primary looking at the uh, clinging and reactions and so forth and being with, with that or whatever I wonder whether in the engagement in that way, even though there may be deepening towards a more harmonious and genuinely integrated existence, whether that can be considered in any way as some, some finality to spirituality. And though you and I know and know only too well how when we are, we are pent-up or when we are agitated or confused or whatever, if, if one is a caring and thoughtful person, the whole heart wish is to be free of this condition and therefore to employ and explore the resources to be free of the condition of separation and all that is implied in it to one of harmony still however the world hasn't changed dramatically it's still the world and in that it's still the world in which so to speak our senses can give confirmation to our experience. When the, in other words, when the mind is moving, we, we feel this group against that group and them against this and this and that. All that separation that we know in ourselves involved in that in a partisan way. When it's towards greater unity and depth, in which the heart is present as well, our eyes and our ears can in spite of what is presenting itself, can show, can reveal the sense of unity, the unity of the meditation hall, the unity of being in the nature. And there's a confirmation taking place in which experience inwardly is primary and then to some extent it gets confirmed via our senses. And as I say, if we're caring people and sensitive sensitive people, the heart's wish must be towards unity and free from fragmentation. But then, in all of that process, we find too that we, in a way, we can't, rest there. We can't rest on either the immediacy of experience of harmony in life and certainly we can't rest on it as a memory. Because when the memory is clung to and identified with, we repeat the same process which we were so happy and glad to get out of, in which we attach ourselves to the memory of that very profound experience or sequence of experiences which we knew. And the more we attach to that memory of that wonderful experience or experiences or whatever, the more the mind will feel and experience aversion to what it's faced with. And so there can be no way in looking into life, in which at any point in the the life, can the past really be used as a reference point? Because once you and I do that, in all the ways that, that we do that, we bring in massive amounts of subjectivity from that reference point with to or with regard to what's happening in the present. And of course with that form of attachment to the memory and to the past, also and equally it's used to affirm ego, therefore affirm separation, therefore affirm I know, I experience, this is the way it is and or that which goes with it, and so, though at varying levels within ourselves, the past, the pre- and uh, varying experiences and can be useful and uh, beneficial. It seems that as one goes deeper into life and deeper into the scene, seeing, seeing the nature of things, we are being asked or we're exploring within ourselves the ways and means that we can keep letting go. That no way is there any place or opportunity to hold on to because once it does it repeats the problems that we began with. Nothing whatsoever to be held onto anywhere. And as one explores further in that, in that inquiry and, and seeing in, uh, uh, in inwardly into oneself, then in that whether that in whether that is taking place from via the listening, outer listening or uh, inner inner listening, very easily, particularly with language of listening, inner or outer, particularly with reflection quite easily there can come a point in that fullness of listening in which the attention to the object, that is the content, that is in this case the words are being said, the attention to begins to fade away. And so sometimes we notice when listening to the the themes of of the Dharma that there can be the energy at the beginning there's a kind of connection and following through, and then the energy and the attention begins to thin itself. And we can't then, and, and there comes a point which we can't actually relate to what's being communicated. And, and, and when that happens, when that feeling and that energy is not with the lis- listening, sometimes because it doesn't correspond to our experience, sometimes because the words are uh, unfamiliar or the speaker or whatever, that what happens is that when the feeling and the energy is not present, that, that vitality that is so necessary, that in the thinning of it, it becomes more abstract. and One says, oh, this just sounds philosophical. It just sounds like ideas. And it... May or may not be, but what tends to take place is that in the judgment which is taking place, it means that the the ground of energy and vitality is not connected with the listening. And we've experienced this many, many, many situations in our life. So in, this, in the listening and the energy and the feeling factor which is which is there, all of it, as it were, is pointing all the best that it can be, what the best in communication can be is not something for itself but it 's pointing somewhere, and it 's pointing somewhere very, very close at hand, even in the unitive experience of harmony which is present there, still there is object. There is still contact. There is still the world which is present for us. And this world which is is present for us is affirmed through, as I mentioned, affirmed through our experiences and particularly, of course, through the senses. And in that what occurs is that the world for us is a variety of objects. And we take objects with attention and the attention posits the object. It it doesn't create it, it establishes it, it fixes it. It makes it to be something, sentient or insentient. And in that positing, because of attention and psychological components, the world comes to be. All of it. Once one is established, and simultaneously, Everything is established and the only difference being that when one particular is established, like a meditation object, or an object of the sense doors, the attention is at that time limited to that object. There's just this object there, experientially. And inferred in this world which we are living is all the other objects because if there is one, there's the rest. And all of this being affirmed through our senses is confirmed through every interaction, every time we speak, every time we do something. Every time we open our eyes, ears, etc., we're confirming a world which is familiar to us with varying degrees of attraction and aversion, a world of objects. Supposing we are in tune with all of this, that we, we are clearly in touch with this world. And then we allow, we're prepared to take the, the risk or, the, or make, the, make the step in which we allow ourselves to question the assumption of the validity that there is an object in the first place. That though our senses and experiences and all that keep confirming a world of things and words to identify and particularise those things, we see all of that and we say to ourselves, I wonder, I just wonder whether that's a belief. And we say, well, in our normal way and in our everyday mind where there's an absence of depth, we say, belief is something else altogether. Belief is, you know, believe in life after death or you believe in God or you, you, you belie- believe that this is like this in another part of the world or planet or etc., etc. And we have countless numbers of these beliefs and, and myths which we surround ourselves with and we get so confused between the, the, the fact of what's appearing and the myth. And so often we live very superstitiously and we live very fearfully because we don't know the difference between the two. And then we then we look and when we and, and inquire and develop our mind and we come to greater clarity and insight and knowledge, and, and, and there's a lot of dispelling of this confusion. And so that the world, to some degree, and our relationship to it as a human being, is stripped down, stripped, 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 everything is cut ruthlessly, cut, cut away, till so there's just a bare fact. Consciousness and the content. Consciousness and the object. And we say, but this is empirical, this is actually, one. how can one deny that as a fact? Because we feel so assured with that fact. But we're going deeper, we're going deeper into our being, and we're saying, maybe that fact confirmed through the senses, maybe it's a belief. Maybe it's a supposition. And in that, in that allowing, in that giving ourselves permission, in that capacity and that openness, it's not that one is endeavouring to posit something else and replace it. We're just allowing doubt. We're just allowing the doubt to permeate into this consciousness object which has got established and fixed as basically the way things really are. And perhaps in in that exploration that itself begins as it were to permeate in such a way that the awareness, the light of awareness and that accompanying doubt doesn't fix things. I wonder what that will mean for us. I wonder if that will, will actually lead anywhere. I wonder if there's some pointer in... in in here, in this bare attention to bare actuality, which is intimating something. And when, when we look at that bare, shall we say, that bare fact, or perhaps even more precisely that, that bare belief, there is in that that attention whether it's the two is to a particular, or two is to the general, it's the same thing. That in that something is being confirmed again as an object, and it's confirmed as an object because there is some supposition that accompanies it of this subject. any object which is presented, any object now which is being presented gives the implication of some subject which is present there. Either separate and divisive with attachment and clinging or unitive. And in our... Being with that presentation and knowing full well that all our senses and the activities of our mind will only confirm this, then there must be some receptivity. What else can it be? Some receptivity, some touch, something which dissolves this belief. in such a way that the very concept, the very label, the very affirmation, simply because of the patterns of the past, nothing else, that that very um, labelling and confirmation is no longer present. And if it's no longer present as having any truth, it's simply uh, a movement into this present time, then object is no more object. And there is seeing, shall we say, uh, knowing, shall we say, that extraordinary is there are no objects. That movement of mind, that attention, makes object. But there are in reality, in true sublime reality, there are no objects. It's not created by, it's established, it's fixed by, it's affirmed by, it's believed by the mind. And if there are no objects, where is the attachment and the aversion? What reality can that have? If there are no objects, how can there be a path, a way out of attachment and aversion. If there are no objects, how can there be going from some relative, ordinary tr- reality to some transcendent reality? if there are no objects how can there be anything to overcome to avoid to pursue to believe in if there are no objects how can there be a world, how can there be mind and body? If there are no objects, how can there be measurement? How can there be birth and death? How can there be coming and going? How can there be change? And the person may ask and may wonder what is the revelation of no objects? What is the experience? What is the insight? What is the awakening of no objects? Sights sounds, smells, tastes, touch, body, mind, consciousness is the reality of no objects The eyes will never confirm this, nor will the ears, nose, tongue taste, the birthless, the deathless, the immeasurable. That's not accessible through the senses May all beings see into the nature of things May all beings see into life May all beings know that immeasurable